Radio. The Eucharist and Healing. A talk by Father Hugh Thomas at the Immaculata Mission School 2015. Held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. Yes, actually I'm originally from Melbourne. I was born in Melbourne, but I've been a Redemptress now, for a priest for 49 and a half years, and only the first year and a half was in Melbourne. Since then I've been 23 years in the Philippines and in many other different places. So, um, particularly in recent years, uh, the Lord has been calling me to promote Eucharistic adoration. And um, so there's a picture up there, adoration and healing. And on one side you've got Jesus. And if you look at the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of St. Mark, nearly half of the Gospel of St. Mark is just healing stories. Jesus going about healing people. And of course, sickness is one of the effects of sin. If there hadn't been original sin, we wouldn't have had sickness, we wouldn't have death. Jesus came to remove sin and all the effects of sin, and one of them is sickness of every kind. And on the other side, we have the symbol of the Eucharist. And Jesus heals his great presence with us today. When he was on earth, he was physically present in a human form. Today, his special presence with us is in the Eucharist. Well, the healing was not meant to just be for the time of Jesus himself. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That's the first part of chapter 9, St. Luke's Gospel. Long ago when I was in the seminary, it's, as you see it was over 50 years ago, we were taught that we were sent out to proclaim, to preach, but very little was said in those days about to heal. And yet the apostles were sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. If people wanted healing in those days, they'd go all the way to Lourdes and hope that there might be a miracle. But in more recent times, the church has come to realise again the mission to healing, and healing has become very important. Now, Jesus particularly heals through Eucharistic adoration. Pope John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, is the great promoter of adoration. At the time that he became Pope, Eucharistic adoration had declined in the church and there wasn't much emphasis on it. It was a kind of a byproduct of the great new developments in the Mass that took place after the Second, Eucharist, uh, Second Vatican Council. So people became very excited in the Eucharistic sacrifice, and of course that is the central thing. That's the great gift that Jesus gave to us. And they began to think that other things are less important. So adoration began to decline. Pope John Paul II made it his mission 
to get us back to the Jesus, to his presence. He said, Jesus waits for us in this sacrament of love. For Eucharistic adoration, we need to have a very strong faith in the presence of Jesus under this little form of just a small white piece that looks like bread. In chapter 6 of St. John's Gospel, Jesus said, I am the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. What an amazing, wonderful promise. And when he said that, many of his disciples were grumbling and saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But Jesus didn't pull back. He said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live in me and I in him. Now this is a very difficult thing for people to accept. When Jesus said that, many of his disciples left him and no longer followed him. He said those words too. At the Last Supper, this is my body, this is my blood. Do this in memory of me. He wanted to make it real that he really, truly is present. When he said that to the people, even though he just worked a great miracle, many of them left him and no longer followed him. They said, this is too hard to believe, that he could really be giving us his flesh to eat, his blood to drink, that he could be giving himself to us under such a form. And then he turned to the apostles and said, what about you, are you going away too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we believe. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is really here? You know, so many people can't believe it. When the Reformation took place in the 16th century, Luther and Calvin and all those who started the Protestant Reformation, they couldn't accept this. They said, it's just a symbol. Jesus gave us this as a symbol. But Jesus said, my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink, I am really here. And he said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the death of the Lord until he comes. Now in the church, in the very beginning, there were no churches. The church was being persecuted. People would celebrate the Eucharist in homes. And at the beginning, they would just keep, they began to keep the Blessed Sacrament, keep the body of Christ after the Mass, just in order to bring it to the sick. But then as the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, as faith in the real presence of Christ in his Eucharist deepened, so this was something that happened under the influence of the Holy Spirit, deepening the faith of the Church. The Church became conscious of the meaning of silent adoration of the Lord present under the Eucharistic species. And our blessed lady speaking to one of her modern saints said, just as Jesus is truly in heaven, 
so also he is truly present on earth in the Eucharist with his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. The whole of God is present there. It is something that if we could really understand it and really grasp it, we will want to be always drawn to his presence. And some of the saints, they found it hard to tear themselves away from the presence of Jesus. I'm a redemptorist priest, and one of our saints in our congregation was Saint Jared Magella. Saint Jared Magella wasn't a priest, he was a redemptorist brother. And Saint Jared used to spend, he had permission sometimes to spend whole nights in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. And whenever he had to leave the Blessed Sacrament to go and do his duties, he had to tear himself away because he had such a deep awareness of the presence of Jesus there that he really was truly present. And if we could get that deeper faith, we too would love to be always with him as much as possible. Pope Benedict said, the act of adoration outside Mass prolongs and intensifies all that takes place during the Eucharist celebration. Pope Benedict wrote a letter, Pope St. John Paul II, just before he died, he called for a year of the Eucharist. Some of you might remember that. And during that year of the Eucharist, he had a synod of bishops on the theme of the Eucharist, but he didn't live for that synod. Benedict XVI was there. And he wrote a letter after the Synod, Sacramentum Caritatis, in which he explained the importance of adoration. And he took up an objection to adoration that happened after the Second Vatican Council. And it was very widespread in the seminaries. It was taught in the seminaries, which is why a lot of priests, unfortunately today, don't see the value of Eucharistic adoration because they were taught in the seminary. Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He gave us the Eucharist, the food of life, to be eaten. And as these theologians would say, not to be looked at. Well, Pope Benedict in his letter actually answers that. And he, in the strongest language, he said, that is wrong, that is false, that is a misunderstanding. And he talks about the act of adoration outside Mass prolongs and intensifies all that takes place during the celebration. Pope Francis, of course, he's very fond of Eucharistic adoration. Uh, you remember when there was a terrible danger of the Americans escalating the war in Iraq when Obama was planning to bomb and Pope Francis called on adoration all around the world and he himself led adoration in Rome and fortunately there was a huge reaction among the American people and they forced the president to back down. So he very much realizes the power of adoration and he said these are some of his words about it it is comforting to know that many groups of young people have rediscovered the beauty of praying in adoration before the most blessed sacrament so we could be sure that pope francis if he's here today he'd be saying go for it you're on the right track 
So a great movement of the Holy Spirit in these times, and it's a movement that owes itself principally to St. John Paul II, is a movement to perpetual Eucharistic adoration. And this is something that I've been heavily involved in now, particularly in the last nine years, but even a little before that. In uh, perpetual Eucharistic adoration means that Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is exposed in the monstrance all during the day, all during the night, seven days a week, and there are a roster of people so that there are always at least two people present before him at any time of the day and night. Now, in 1989, at that time, there were less than 20 of these chapels in the whole world. Less than 20. The longest of them, I was blessed, oh, thank you very much. I was blessed just six weeks ago to be on a pilgrimage and to be in the church of, uh, church of Sacré-Cœur, Sacré-Cœur, Sacred Heart in English, in Paris. In that church, there has been continuous adoration for 125 years, longer than any other church in the world. And there's a magnificent, beautiful atmosphere in that church. There's such a prayerful atmosphere. Uh, so at 1989, there were very few of these chapels in the world. At that time, Pope John Paul II went to Korea, to the International Eucharistic Congress. And there he asked, there was already a church in Korea with perpetual Eucharistic adoration. And he asked all the priests of that country, of South Korea, to come and he would talk to them in that church. And he asked them to establish perpetual adoration in all their parishes. And the last figure I heard, there were 77 chapels of perpetual Eucharistic adoration in Korea. Do we have anyone of Korean background here? Congratulations. <laughs> Korea. So you have to evangelize. Where are you from? Sydney, Melbourne? Sydney. Oh, well, I'll have to use you. We're going to have to get going in Sydney. <laughs> uh, then in 1993, he went to the International Eucharistic Congress in Seville, in Spain. And at that time, he made this prayer that every parish in the world would have a chapel of perpetual Eucharistic adoration. What an extraordinary dream of Pope John Paul II. Well, as I said, there were less than 20 when he made that first appeal in 1989. Today, there are over 3,500 chapels of perpetual adoration around the world. That, that's a picture in um, 2005. A priest there who's on the left, Father Doug Harris, he's a parish priest in Paris, in Perth. You might notice that the priest beside him had a little bit more hair in 2005. That's me. Then there, <laughs> then there is the translator we had. Um, this happened in Surabaya. We started in Surabaya, the first place in Indonesia, 
where we invited to promote perpetual adoration. And that was because Father Doug had already established five chapels of perpetual adoration in Perth. And there were ladies from Surabaya who were commuted because of their business from Surabaya to Perth. In Perth they could go any time they liked to a chapel with exposition. They'd come back to Surabaya and the churches were closed. So we were invited up there. It was organised by Charismatic Renewal and it was wonderfully organised. We were in the World Trade Centre, a very modern building, 1,500 beautiful bucket seats, um, PowerPoint facilities. They had a choir, they had uh, an orchestra and um, two full days, 1,500 people. It was booked out. And during that time, we introduced them to the idea of perpetual adoration. The man there who's the principal celebrant, he was our translator. And three months later, he became the bishop of Surabaya, and he still is. Uh, so he was, uh, that was God's providence. There's some of the orchestra and choir that they had during that. And there's some of the procession we had to the chapel to launch the first chapel of perpetual adoration in Indonesia. Now the chapel that they were getting ready wasn't finished. So in the meantime, and this is an amazing providence of God, and this is where it relates very much to our theme tonight. The chapel wasn't ready, so there was a very big hospital in Surabaya run by the Holy Spirit nuns. 2,200 patients and staff, 90% of whom are Muslim. So we asked, could the perpetual adoration begin there? Because we already had a full roster of people. In fact, we had four or five people at any time of day or night. And so they said, yes, you can have it in the hospital chapel for the time being. But what happened? A hospital is full of sick people. So they began to come and pray in the presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Now it's very dangerous to let Jesus near the sick. What might he do? Well, he began to heal them. And you might be very shocked about this. Most of the people he was healing were Muslims. <laughs> because most of the people in Surabaya are Muslim. It's, it's a 90% Muslim city. And the people were coming and praying, and Jesus was healing them. So, of course, that remains. And I've been back to that chapel, and you'll usually see at least 40 or 50 people there at any time of the day, and even during the night, there are plenty of people praying in that chapel. Well, that was the first. And um, I should say that before we had this, we had a retreat to the priests of the diocese, and the retreat finished with an overnight adoration. And it was all leading up to promoting adoration because it's very important to have the priests leading and promoting this, otherwise it will fail. And so it was a wonderful thing that the vicar, the vicar of that diocese, there wasn't a bishop of the time, insisted you must talk to the priest first and then you can talk to the lay people. That has been a pattern now We've been to so many over these last nine years because of the miracles that happened in that church in Surabaya, in that chapel. Uh, 
many bishops have invited us to give a retreat to the priests and to give retreats to the lay people and you usually get at least a thousand people if you give a retreat in Indonesia. It's very much more religious country. In fact, Indonesia is the most religious country in the world. Anyone here of Indonesian background? There we are, congratulations. <laughs> the most, by survey, it's the most religious country in the world. Of course, the majority of people are practicing the Islamic religion, but they're religious and devout. And they're not like the radicals of the Middle East and Pakistan and places like that. They're very friendly and there's beautiful harmony among the religions in Indonesia. So we've been to all, and now, today there are now 45 Forty-five chapels of perpetual adoration in Indonesia all began with this one here. And all began because Jesus was showing his power to heal. That's what attracted the people to come. And that has continued in every place where there has been a chapel of adoration, there's been healing. So the important thing is that Jesus still heals today. And uh, we, there are two kinds of healing we'll be having tonight. So I mentioned both of them here, through the Eucharist, through adoration. Well, we know that people go to Lourdes. Probably most of you have heard of Lourdes. Lourdes is a place where Our Lady appeared in 1858, I think it was, and uh, to Bernadette, St. Bernadette, and uh, asked her to to scrape the ground and a spring came out and water came, healing water, and people have been going to Lourdes ever since and there have been many miraculous healings. But actually, more people are healed when the Blessed Sacrament is carried around in procession than are healed by bathing in the water. So it's the Eucharist again that is the main healing source in Lourdes. Surabaya I told you about. I've got there, Rainier, because we went, uh, one of the places we went to there, I could tell you many stories, I'll just tell you one because it's a fairly dramatic one. Uh, we went to Manado, Sulawesi Utara, and we started the perpetual adoration there and came back the next year to start it in Tumuhon. And um, the second time we went there, we had a testimony from a man who had a remarkable story. His name is Rainier an unusual name in Indonesia, but that was what he was called. And he had a, uh, when I, he, was, he wasn't at the retreat, but at the Sunday Mass I was preaching and inviting people to come to the Perpetual Adoration Chapel, which had just begun. And he admitted in his testimony, he said, well, look, when I heard that, I thought, well, there's no way in the world. We ask people one hour a week, give one hour a week, if enough people do that, we cover all the hours. He said, there's no way I could do one hour a week. I've got a wife, I've got three little kids, I've got my own business, and we're struggling, really struggling in this business. Anyway, the next day, he thought, out of curiosity, he was by going past the new Adoration Chapel, which was in a convent of nuns. He wanted to see what it was like. And as he was coming there, his friend was coming out. And they started talking and he found that his friend had committed himself to an hour a week even though he was in the same situation. He had three kids, he had his own business. So Rainier said, well, if he can do it, I'll try. So he started to do adoration once a week. Now within a couple of months, something terrible happened. His wife became seriously ill. They tried all the doctors, 
They tried every kind of thing and she was getting worse and worse and they could do nothing at all. So in desperation, Rainier carried his wife to the Adoration Chapel and said, Jesus, do something about it. And she was miraculously healed there and then. As in gratitude, he had 3,000 little prayer booklets for adoration published at his own expense. And when we were there, which was only a year later, he took myself and Father Doug to his house for a midday meal. And it was a very poor little place with a dirt floor. But then after the meal, he took us around to the new house that he was building. Beautiful big house. Because he said the moment... Oh, the other thing was... As soon as the miracle happened, he started to go to adoration every day, one hour before he went to work. Six days a week, and then on Sunday in the evening. As soon as he started to do this, his business, which had been struggling, suddenly took off, and now he had plenty of money. Uh, and um, he got out and publicly told that story. And we shouldn't be surprised at that, because Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. So he was ready to give an hour of his day every day to Jesus before he went off to work. So Jesus said, well, I'll take care of the business. And he's a much better businessman. So that, that's a story. I could tell you so many others, but we don't have time. But just to give you one story from Indonesia. And another way, we have people here tonight. How many are there? Are there a few? Some of those people down there, they're going to pray over you. And they're people who've got experience. Um, no one in the world's had more experience than Alan here. Um, but um, So they, you, they will pray with you later on. And that's another way that the healing takes place. Jesus said, one of the signs that will accompany believers, they will lay their hands on the sick who will recover. Now, notice that he didn't say, these are the signs that will accompany the apostles, these are the signs that will accompany bishops or priests or nuns, he said, these are the signs that will accompany believers. Are there any believers here? Yeah. Oh, there are a few. <laughs> that means that it's not only those people who can lay hands, but any of you can. Jesus will reward your faith. We all can do that. Because it's not us that heal, it's him. Now, what about the kinds of healing that we need? Well, obviously, there's the physical healing and the story that I told you about Rainier's wife. She was seriously physically ill. And some of these remarkable healings that take place in Lourdes, they are instant healings of sick people or gradual healings. But there are many other kinds of healings. There mightn't be many of you that are sick that need physical healing. But I'm sure that every single one needs some kind of healing. There are psychological healings, emotional healings, spiritual ones, things like depression. Now the odds are that there are some here that suffer from depression. It's quite a big percentage of the Australian population today are affected by depression. Now I have had experiences of people being healed from depression. I've prayed over people during missions and... Uh, and so Jesus can do that. It's Jesus who does the healing, and he can heal from even things like that. Grief. Sometimes we are grieving over something. We could, You know, young men can sometimes grieve a great deal over the loss of a girlfriend that 
can even lead them to suicide. Sometimes I've had to deal with some of those cases. So you could be grieving that your love affair has broken up and you need healing. You can be full of resentment. There, um, You could have been badly treated by somebody. It could be even resentment against your parents or against somebody in your family. And you can't do it by yourself. Certainly can't do it by yourself, but Jesus can do it. He can heal you of that. And then there's so many addictions. Well, maybe gambling or drink, cigarettes. I was healed from smoking. I became an expert at giving up smoking. After my father died of emphysema, for 11 years I gave up smoking every year for Lent. I was working in the Philippines in those days and everyone was smoking. Easter would come, having a few drinks and back again. So it was on Pentecost weekend, 1983, and I was giving a retreat in Lipa, charismatic retreat, Pentecost weekend, and we were praying over one another, and I said, well, pray over me to stop smoking. And that was the last time I smoked, May the 23rd, 1983. So I've already got a 30, had a 31st anniversary. <laughs> it's an odd smoker. But it came through prayer, the second thing we're doing tonight, laying on hands. So if you're trying to give up smoking, well, uh, pornography, well, that's something very sadly that even the very best of young people today are so exposed to this uh, that it can already be becoming a habit. And on the law of averages, there are probably some here, some young men here who are struggling with this. Well, you can't do it by yourself, but again, Jesus is there to help you. You can be addicted to social media, you know, Facebook and these kind of things. And it can be something that's out of control, but that you no longer can control it. You should be studying at uni. You should be doing your study. There seem to be a few people reacting to this one. Might be a bit of, Jesus might have a bit of work to do here. <laughs> this one tonight. Yeah, all right. Shopping, well, that's usually the girls. I said the pornography is usually the boys, but shopping is usually the girls. <laughs> Some of them get addicted to that. Uh, yeah, and that can cause some trouble. And then Jesus can also release us from evil spirits. And sometimes people dabble in things that are not good. And a lot of um, modern media songs and things like that can make you experiment with things like witchcraft and Ouija boards or tarot cards, palm reading, um, all of these things which can be an entry to evil spirits, and we need to be freed from them. And then, often we need also that sacrament of reconciliation. If you're dealing with resentment, for example, you need also to confess it, as well as the prayer. If you're dealing with pornography, you need also the confession. So there are a lot of those things you would need also, the sacrament of reconciliation. So two of us, Father Anthony and I, are available tonight for that. And now when we pray for healing, there are three things that can happen. There can be an instant healing, and I've many times experienced that. And I would expect that to happen tonight, that there will be instant healings. I got the instant healing from the smoking, from the praying over, when I tried many other things and my own good resolutions and things hadn't worked. But I did on that one get an instant healing. There can be a gradual healing. You may not be healed completely from this, 
And God uh, often works, works this way. He, doesn't wa he wants you to cooperate with him. And so you might be looking for a healing from some kind of addiction, for example, to Facebook or to pornography or to whatever it is. And you find that after the prayer and everything tonight, you have a good period. And then, <gasps> slip. Well, don't think that it was all a waste of time. You might need another little dose of prayer. You might need to come to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament again. You need to go to the Sacrament and you need to... But you're much better than you were and you will gradually get rid of it. So that is the way that God often works. So if you don't get an instant healing tonight, don't give up. Are you all off Facebook and things for this week? For this week? You are. No, you're not. TVs and phones. No Facebook. Oh dear. <laughs> there must be some hurting a lot, eh? But you could do it for a whole week now. So you should be much better uh, at uh, handling it. It's not that you have to give some things like that completely off. With pornography, yes. Bang. No. With Facebook, well, it has to be under control. If you can't control it, maybe you have to give it up. But, uh, you know, that's, it's under control is the important thing. So there's the gradual healing, and that's the, perhaps the more normal way that Jesus operates. And you have to cooperate with him, and it takes time. There are no instant saints, really. Saints, becoming a saint is a lifetime work. Now, the third one is that no healing occurs. And this happens sometimes with a physical illness, that the person is not healed. Maybe they even get worse. And in Lourdes, that often happens. People are not healed physically, but everyone, the prayer is answered. A grace is given. And Jesus calls us sometimes to suffer with him, to be with him, to carry our cross, and that can be a greater gift from him even than a physical healing. Now, during this week, you're doing a lot of adoration. Now, it would be a great pity if after this week you don't keep it up. So I'm going to ask you at least this. Um, some will be able to do more than this, but I would like every single one of you to commit to doing an hour of adoration every week. If you can't get to a church with exposition, at least get to a church because Jesus is also in the tabernacle. Um, there's a picture there of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He was a great preacher in the United States. He was the first televangelist on television. He had a huge following, I think 900,000 Americans watching his show every week uh, when he was there. And he, the, the, the constant refrain that he kept saying to people was, spend an hour a week with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. He said that over and over and over again. Of course, for priests and religious, it should be one hour a day. With Mother Teresa's nuns, they do three hours every day before the Blessed Sacrament. And Mother Teresa said, if you can't see the face of Jesus in the Eucharist, you won't be able to see his face among the poorest of the poor. They do such extraordinary good work because they spend a lot of time with Jesus drawing that strength from him in the Blessed Eucharist. And being a Redemptorist, I have to, of course, quote Pope... 
the quote Saint Alphonsus because in Pope John Paul II's letter, oh, I didn't move it, uh, in his letter on the Eucharist, he said, among all the saints, the, the greatest for devotion to the Blessed Sacrament was Saint Alphonsus. And he quoted him and said, of all devotions, that of adoring Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is the greatest after the sacraments, the one dearest to God and the one most helpful to us. So Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. So we're going to rest with him. He is going to be here in the Blessed Sacrament exposed. And during this week you have many opportunities and hopefully for the rest of your life you'll spend at least an hour a week coming to him, laying your burdens before him, being healed of all the things that need his healing. And the Blessed Mother, she appeals to us. She wants us to listen to the words of her son, to the apostles in the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you not watch one hour with me? That was Father Hugh Thomas with the Eucharist and Healing. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.